Congratulations, you made it to the X-Fill. You can relax, empty your bags, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey there, Mike, a.k.a. MTB Trigger here, and with me as always is my co-host Ronald, a.k.a. Eric. If you are brand new, welcome. This is an Escape from Tarkov podcast where we talk about all things EFT, and our goal is to get better at the game, and we hope you come along with us on that adventure. So today, we're actually going to continue our conversation from last week on the hideout and making money using the flea market, but this week we're going to get into some specifics on crafts or trades that you can use to hopefully uh, make your ruble count a little bit better, and we're going to get into the specifics behind the numbers, what you need to do ahead of time and things that you can do that you might be able to leverage your economy with. And then we're also going to talk about some of our wishlist items and some of the things that we kind of dream about being in the game or that we've heard about that the community's talking about, and we want to talk a little bit more about that. So before we jump in, we're going to get our hideout keeping out of the way. And so first, as always... The best way to support the show is to share the podcast with a friend. Let somebody know about it, whether they're thinking about playing, whether they don't play yet and you want them to play. Let them know about the show. And second to that, if you have already told all your friends about the podcast and they're all already here, but you haven't given us a rating yet, that's an amazing thing you can do for us. It helps us reach new people. Uh, Speaking of which, we now have 140 ratings on iTunes. So thank you so much for those of you who have gone and done that. And again, I just want to make another special welcome to those of you that are joining us from Spotify and Google, as those are now updated and a lot of people are flowing in on those platforms. And we've also got a lot of people catching us on YouTube now, and they are joining the Discord. And we have a couple new people from just watching purely on YouTube. So welcome to you guys. Uh, the Really, the only thing that I wanted to announce other than that this week, though, was we have a brand new Sherpa in the Discord that you can reach out to for help. Whether you just have some questions you want answered or you're looking to group up in the game and get some help in-game. And I'm kind of laughing because I have this weird thing, especially on my Twitch channel when someone new comes by. I always like to say the right name or pronounce it the right way. So in my mind, this individual's name on Discord was Cake Datavi. And I thought this was some sort of like fancy last name and some play on words or what's going on. But I always like to ask. So right before we went and recorded, I jumped in a voice channel because he was in a raid or in between raids. And I said, hey, I want to make sure I'm saying this right. Is your uh, the second part of your name pronounced Datavi? And he just laughed. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? And it's cake.avi, like the file extension. So I was way off. But anyway, man, thank you so much for everything you're doing in the Discord, responding to questions. I'll never forget the first time that you quoted a section. I didn't even know you could quote in Discord. And you always quote what you're responding to, which I think is really cool. So anyway, you probably recognize who I'm talking about now because he's always quoting stuff in Discord. He's the only person I've ever seen do it. Anyway, thank you for offering your services as a Sherpa. Everybody, if you're hearing this and you need some help, don't hesitate to reach out to mrcake.avi. But other than that, if you're looking for me, you can find me a few days a week on Twitch at MTB Trigger. I'm also available on Twitter under the same handle, and I'm pretty much always available over Discord DMs or in the Xfil Discord. So with that, Ronald, 
let these fine people know how you're doing and where they can find you. Hey, what's up, everybody? First of all, I do want to say thank you to Cake.AVI for being our new Sherpa and echo all the same things that Trigger just said. We're so very happy to have you being such an active part of the Xville Discord community. And we're lucky to have people like you that are invested enough to help everyone around you and just make our community for Tarkov a cool and inviting place to be. So thank you very much. Super excited about that. But as always, you can find me in Discord, Ronald, at the top of the list next to Trigger. Send me a DM anytime. This is really the best way to get a hold of me. I'm on Discord most of the day, just like most of everybody else, and this is the best way to get a hold of me. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ronald Gaming. And if you get a chance, please also follow the show at Xfil Podcast as well. We have a show Twitter set up. I want to have everyone follow that as well. As things grow, we're going to start to release notifications probably through the podcast, Twitter, just to make things a little bit more official and centralized. So make sure you follow that as well. Uh, one last thing, we have been asking for the past few weeks for everyone to go and check out the YouTube channel at XP Media Now on YouTube. Trigger kind of alluded to that. We're pretty excited because we just passed our first YouTube milestone of 500 subs. And this is kind of the first milestone when you create a YouTube channel is to reach that 500 sub point. And so we want to say thank you to everyone who's gone out, watched some content there, and sub to it. We're now kind of pushing our second milestone, and so we have an ask. We would like everyone to go check it out if you haven't already done so. And if you like what you see, go ahead and sub, and also comment on the videos. It really helps the YouTube algorithm extend the reach of the podcast and the content that we're creating when you comment and interact with the videos, the like, sub, and those kinds of things. Everyone always asks for that, but there's a reason because it really helps the algorithm say, hey, we should show this to more people. And it just makes the podcast have that more reach. And so we're pretty excited to to grow the YouTube. And if everyone has a chance, go do that. And you know what? While I'm thinking about it on the subject of YouTube, so I thought I was one of the only people that did this, but I actually listened to podcasts multiple times. You know, and for some reason, I thought I was unique in that. But one of the most unique pieces of feedback we get is that there's a significant number of people that listen to the episodes more than once or they go back and listen through them again. And so I guess what I would say related to the YouTube is if you're listening to the episodes more than once and you have the ability to, would you just go listen to it either once or more times on YouTube in addition to whatever podcast app you're listening on? Again, it just helps us a lot and YouTube is way more discoverable. So we're just trying to reach more people there and we're starting to get that because of what you all have done already. So you've seen some new names in the Discord because of that. And that's really what we're most passionate about is just how awesome this community is and finding more people like that. So thank you for doing it. And that's my ask is if you're already listening multiple times, try to throw a YouTube listen in there for us. Yeah, I'm totally a podcast junkie. I totally do that. Listen to the same thing a couple of times. <laughs> what can I say? But anyways, we really appreciate everyone doing that. So moving on, uh, Trigger, how's your week been? My week has been, well, really good. And it's also kind of short, right? Because we recorded late last week. We're recording early this week, kind of intentionally. I uh, wanted to just apologize for how late this episode went out, trying to make up for that this week to come out either ahead of time or right on time. But in the short few days in between those two events, I have um, lost a bunch of gear getting the final tasks done. I have about 15 tasks left to get the Kappa container, and some of them require a lot of gear donation. And it's not in the way that you would think. Like, for example, on 
on woods, I have to kill a bunch of scabs with 12 gauge shotgun. And, you know, I went in and lost a bunch of shotguns and realized, you know, I really need to probably use a thermal scope to just go find scabs. And then I get myself into trouble because I've got like a thermal M1A. And I'm like, ooh, PMC's over there. I better go shoot them. And then I end up not making it out of the raid on time, which actually happened on stream the other day. And I didn't make it out of woods on time after killing, I think I killed five PMCs. I killed a bunch of scavs and I was really thick. I had tons of loot and I was walking at a snail's pace. And I learned two important things in that raid. The first one that I learned was that the most efficient way to move when you have so much stuff in your bags and you're way overburdened is to actually sprint, drop your backpack, and then you recover your stamina back twice as fast, pick up your backpack and start running again. So shout out to Quispy on that one. He helped me out in chat when I was streaming. And then I still didn't make it out even with that tip because I didn't know it right away. And the other one I learned is when you're going to go missing in action, if you throw all of your equipped gear that you have insured on the ground right before the raid ends and you get kicked out forcefully, you'll get it back in insurance. And so I learned 10 seconds after losing a ton of gear that you can do that. So <laughs> anyway, I donated that gear to nobody other than just turning it back into Tarkov itself. But anyway, those are the two things that really jumped out as far as my Tarkov gameplay went. And then other than that, I played some PUBG, jumped into the new Valorant title, as some of you saw, and we'll actually get into something that I was thinking about that PUBG has. And it's not even PUBG, it's a third party website, but we'll get into that later. Um, and again, I'll, we'll definitely tie it back to Tarkov, but I've been playing a little bit of everything recently and having a great time in game. That was me. How about you, man? That's awesome. Yeah, I've been working on some mid game hideout progression. So I've really been pushing the last kind of two trader reputations that I need to get done to get to uh, like level three. So I just got skier level three today, which is pretty nice. exciting. So that means uh, I had to get to level 28. That was the last piece of that. And I'm pushing on to mechanic level three, which is a pretty big step that'll let me upgrade my generator. And that'll let me upgrade my Bitcoin farm, which is just going to be expensive to buy. I think it's 15 more graphics cards to put in there, which is going to cost like, you know, about four and a half million rubles roughly. But on the good side of that, I have had an awesome week on the economy side, probably plus 11 million rubles this week. Because of that, I'm pretty well positioned. I've got like a 17 million ruble war chest right now, ready to go for the last phase of <laughs> of uh, hideout. So, you know, I think I think we're sitting solid there. I think that's cool that you've got like, you're prepared now, right? You got to the point where you're like, I know I'm going to need currency after this. You know, it's always waves, right? You get to that point in the game where you're like making a bunch of money and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> something's coming. And you're right. That graphics cards one is brutal, but I think you're in the like sub 10 million rubles to finish out your hideout entirely, which is a great feeling because the Bitcoin empire will stabilize you tremendously in the end game. So that's cool. I'm, that's awesome to hear, especially skier level three is big. And then uh, mechanic level three coming up is a monster. That's a great one. Yeah. And there's one more and I don't remember off the top of my head. That's like level 32 or 34. That's level three. And that one is like the last really time gated piece. That's the booze generator. Yep. And so that that'll be the last big kind of piece there. So, but anyways, that's what I've been focusing on this week and it's gone pretty well. I shifted my focus away from 
trying to do some tasks that were just kind of kicking my butt a little bit. And I was just donating gear to just, okay, stick with a few things that I know how to do and do them well and and effectively. So we had a lot of uh, nighttime raids. And so last week we talked about kind of nighttime raiding and we kind of had this impromptu long discussion about you know, where, what part of the game we use it as a tool for. And so I have really started to adopt nighttime raids. I'm probably at nine out of 10 raids I do at night. And I try to wait till it's the middle of the night. What I've noticed is that there's a lot less active PvP at night. And I know this sounds like weird or counterintuitive, but the way that I'm raiding, at least on uh, Shoreline and a little bit on Interchange, it's a lot easier at night. Now, Interchange at night can still be a little bit sketchy, but Shoreline at night is almost, it's almost like free kills and free loot because everybody goes straight to resort and they're all playing in resort. And you can hit uh, weather station, power station, the gas station. And I usually walk out with at least nine to 10 scav kills and two or three PMC kills. And I've been using kind of a very budget NVG setup that Trigger showed me a couple of weeks ago that's probably less than 75K to make. And with those, when I lose them, it's not that big of a deal. And honestly, I get a lot of them back in insurance because nobody wants them. So I go in there with kind of my janky build that is enough armor and enough everything to kind of keep me protected from getting snuck up on by a scav, really, and take a Mosin and some kind of uh, an SMG with me. So I've got some kind of a short range gun and just go and do it. And I've had a lot of success doing that. And it's really interesting because I was afraid to do night raids. I just thought, oh man, only the thick boys are doing night raids. I'm just going to die every time I try to do it right. And it's kind of turned out to be a little bit of the opposite. Now, there are other maps, like I'm sure Factory Night Raids is Thick Boys. You know, that's a totally different (laughs) scenario. But, you know, and and I honestly, I've never tried Reserve at night. And I tried Woods once at night and it didn't go very well. So I think that's the same problem you have at Woods in the day is that thermos still work at night. So I think Woods is Woods at this point. But Shoreline at night, I encourage everyone to try it. Shoreline at night is something that you can really make a lot of money from because there's lots of caches. There's lots of safes. You can hit the pier. You can, like I said, you can hit all these different places and you have, you have like 40 plus minutes. That's a a lot of time to hit a lot of loot. Well, and it seems to me like if I was hatchet running or pistol running and wanted a really good chance of getting to resort without being spotted, like even without night vision goggles, like you could probably pistol run without night vision goggles up to the resort. So like when you're seeing guys that are pistol running or hatchet running on shoreline, do you find that sometimes they don't even have night vision at night on shoreline? Most of them don't. I actually only killed one PMC out of, I should say one PMC that I killed out of I think six had night vision on and it was the the cheap ones that I'm using. Right. And they, they don't have them in. It's So using night vision to be clear is not like having a thermal. So it's not like it lights up where everybody's hiding in a bush. It's that people don't hide as well at night because they think they're more obscured. So if you know kind of the paths at which PMCs travel to get across the map, you can definitely sit there and say, okay, that's a black blob moving and just shoot at it, right? And scavs obviously are easy to pick off like that too. And it's the perfect map for a Mosin because you just sit there and make long range shots with a Mosin, you know, four or 500 yard shots, easy. 
with a Mosin all day long. And so I really did not see a lot of other players using NVG on Shoreline. And I'm not sure if it's just not a focus of players right now, or if it's just, it's kind of maybe forgotten about because it wasn't one of the original maps, you know, so everyone seems to go after different maps. But for me, I've found that it's been extremely profitable to to run Shoreline at night between 10 o'clock at night and say four o'clock in the morning. If you get anywhere outside of that window, the sun starts to come up enough where you lose your advantage of cover. You just lose that advantage. So then you might as well just play it in the middle of the day so you can see what's going on. So Interesting. Yep. And so that, that's been really good, especially if you get shoreline when it's raining and at night, you don't even have to worry about sound because you can't hear anything. You just kind of right. you kind of know the map well enough to know where people go and where where they don't go. When I log in and it's raining and it's the middle of the night, I go right to resort. It's because that is the great negator of sound. Once you don't have that as an advantage, then you can start to uh, you know Chad loses a little bit of his advantage in that situation. So right, it's been a good week of doing that and kind of learning how to do some night raid stuff. So. That's the really the first part of my week. And then we also did some, you and I did some runs on woods with thermos. You know, we had we had some success. We had some heartbreak as we ran towards the UN roadblock as the timer ticked down and we missed the exfil by literally one second. Literally one second. You had a pretty spectacular raid where I think you killed 16 or 17 scavs and PMCs, including Sherman. Yep. And it was pretty funny because you killed Sherman and we didn't even know you killed Sherman. <laughs> we thought you oh, did. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I think we did because the Raiders were shooting at us. And it was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, this is either somebody who's cheating, right? That always goes through your head, right? When someone shoots at you right when you come over a hill. And then I was like, you know what? I bet Sherman's there and I bet these are Raiders plinking at us. So we had to do this wide flank around the lumber mill. And it turned out that we had killed Sherman and a couple of his goons. We ended up getting in a bunch of PMC fights, a bunch of scab fights. And then we had to book it to the exfil and it was just too late. It was too late. We were so close. Yep. In that raid, I ended up having probably the longest sniper shot I've ever had. It's when, oh, nice. It's when we were in the lumber mill down towards the outskirts side of lumber mill by that, yep. by that big rock. And there was a PMC doing that quest by that car. That, yeah. that that wrecked car and I I clapped him and that was that was a long shot, dude. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you that are familiar with the task, what he was talking about, you know, the ambulance. I think it is that's parked on the beach or crashed on the beach, and you have to get the blood splatter off of it for a task. We were on the rock faced on the far side of lumber mill, and we look back, and I'm like, I think that's a guy on the ambulance because we were using thermals. And because I was trying to get Shooter Born in Heaven done, and I also had to get M1A kills with a thermal. So, of course, I took one in for both of us. <laughs> he looks over and Ron's like, I'm taking a shot. And he shoots and this guy just drops. And I'm like, dude, that was like a 300 plus meter shot. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy shot. That was definitely probably one of my favorite and most memorable Tarkov kills to date. So, that was pretty sweet. So That's awesome. Yeah, it was good. And beyond that, I played a little bit of WoW this week, and why that's relevant is the economy focus that we've had in Tarkov kind of got me a little bit uh, homesick for my original game where I ruled the economy. So I went back into WoW and kind of got into the auction house a little bit, and I've been kind of reinvigorated to take over and rule the economy in Tarkov. And so 
been playing around with manipulating the economy and we'll get into some of the trades and things like that in this episode. There's all kinds of little things that work sometimes and don't work at other times. And especially today, the day that we're recording, there was another drop from Battlestate, I guess, of some different gear. What was it? It was a weird uh, bag and attack rig. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And a couple of the the eighteen hundred heel. Why can't I think of the name of it right now? The uh, grizzly. The grizzly. Yeah, you got two yep. grizzlies and then a bunch of ammo and yeah. So it's the mechanism bag, which is the four by four slot, and then it has four two by two slots. So it's a really neat bag, but you can't bagception it, which is the biggest problem with it. So it's kind of interesting in that it's a big bag that. If you take it into raids, you'll often get it back on insurance because people don't know what to do with it. Really interesting. Yeah, honestly, pretty worthless from my perspective. So, <laughs> But anyways, uh, what we talked about last week was how there's going to be a f- market flood. You can play the market a little bit. So I did that today with a little bit of those bags and it, it didn't make as much money because there's not as high of a demand as some of the other things that we've done in the past. But it still was another example of how go to the flea market look for older auctions, ones that have an hour or two left that have been posted for 14 hours, you know, 13 hours, and you can see what the price was before. And so you can see where the high watermark is for this deal. And then, you know, if it's selling for low, you can buy and, you know, make the difference minus the flea market cut. So it's something to keep in mind. You can do that with just about anything, especially when Battlestate artificially messes with the economy by giving players some kind of valuable, you know, thing along the way. So anyways, that was pretty long-winded, but that was basically what I did this week and had a pretty good time uh, doing that. So yeah, it's been a pretty good week, you know, with all the things that we ended up doing. You know, you had mentioned PUBG before. Yeah, so (laughs) what I would kind of wanted to do on this episode, and for those of you that are listening, you know, we don't quote-unquote dream a lot. We've sort of reported on what goes on on Reddit and what people are thinking about there. But we've never really come out and said, like, here's what I want in the game or here's what people in the community are talking about. And I don't think it's any secret that, you know, I still play PUBG a fair amount. We still have the podcast for PUBG and I play it a few days a week on stream. And then I like to check out other FPS titles as they come out because I'm kind of an FPS chat. It's what I do. But, you know, I'm not missing anything from PUBG the game specifically. It's actually a community thing. And if you're familiar or you create content or you stream PUBG or you did in the past, you may be familiar with a website named PUBG.Report. It's literally the website, PUBG.Report. And what it does is if you have your PUBG client linked to your Twitch account and you go live and you stream and you encounter and kill or are killed by another streamer, this website will put under your gamer tag or their gamer tag the exact clip or timestamp of when that happened. So what got really popular in the community was after you were done streaming for the day, you would go check PUBG report and see who you ran into. For one, you probably knew most of the names that you killed if it was your friends, but oftentimes you would find all of these people that were streaming that you never heard of before and you could see their reaction, you could see your reaction, you could see if they were really toxic or if they were like, oh man, that was a sick shot or, you know, whatever happened. And it created a sense of community. Like you found people that you were like, oh man, I'm never talking to that person again. But you also got in contact with people that maybe they reacted really cool or they said really nice shot or they killed you and they were like, oh man, that guy had great positioning or 
or whatever. I met some of the people that I still play PUBG with today through PUBG Report because, you know, if I'm streaming, I'm not watching other streams going on at the moment. So it created this connection point through kills and seeing how you died, seeing how you killed somebody and their reaction. It was really, really cool. And so while I was playing PUBG and after I streamed it, I just had like muscle memory. I closed my stream down and I went straight to PUBG Report. I went and watched the videos of the streamers that I killed that day. And I was like, oh my gosh, my first gut reaction was, man, this would be really cool and Tarkov, you know? But then I was sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, for one, I don't know if Tarkov has the API for this, but I came back and I was like, I don't know if this would be good for Tarkov. And I had this like real internal battle because I know how much of a community developing thing it could be. But I also look at it and say, Tarkov is so hardcore there's something special about not knowing how you died or if you got just a little piece of information where you're like, I heard that shot come from like, you know, 270 degrees to my left and I don't know exactly where he was, but the next time I'm in that location, I can figure out where they were shooting me from. So I don't know, man. What what do you think about this? Do you think something like this has a place in Tarkov or is it too hardcore to let people connect this way. I don't know. It's super interesting. I I mean, I was battling with it in my own head. Well, the first thing I was thinking about is that Nikita said they're never going to have a death cam. So, because of that, maybe it's something that is a little bit not what they want for the vision of the game. I think it's a great community building tool. It's fun to look up someone who killed you and see if they're a streamer. And we've done that a couple times, like killed people and been killed by, and then looked them up and then gone in their Twitch channel quick and said, you know, GG or whatever. Right. And made some friends that way. So, you know, there definitely is a community building aspect of it. I don't know. It's it's definitely something for PUBG that works. I don't know if it would work in Tarkov or not, but it definitely works in PUBG. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the hard part, right? Because in PUBG, it's like 100 people go in, one comes out. Or in the case of squads, it's 25 teams go in, one squad comes out. So most people are expecting to die all the time. Whereas in Tarkov, it's feasible that everyone that goes into the raid gets out of the raid. It's not likely, but it can happen. So being able to conceal your perfect sniping spot or showing the death side of it, I can see how people wouldn't like that. But I'm looking at it and saying, like, it's not necessarily how the kill happened that is the coolest part about PUBG Report. It's actually the community side. And I guess I don't know if people would see it that way. Well, I guess part of it is, like, streamers are showing what they're doing anyway. So if they kill someone, like, it's on stream. You can go watch the VOD. So I guess I don't necessarily see a downside to it. Because the way that PUBG Report would work is if you have your Twitch account linked to your in-game account and you weren't streaming, but you killed someone that was streaming, you would see their perspective even though they wouldn't see yours. So if you didn't stream or didn't want people to see your methods or your spots, that you actually wouldn't have to show that off. But if you're streaming, you're kind of putting it out there anyway. So I don't know, maybe it would work. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting if a FPS game could integrate something like this natively into the game and then have, you know, some kind of deep integration with recording footage in a way that is meaningful and archivable and, you know, easy to cut up to make content with. You know, we definitely have a different perspective, right? Because we're content creators. So we definitely look at this differently. But it's always fun to show off a good kill or show off to your friend that you killed them, right? In a way. And so 
Yeah, I, I I think there's a place for it. I'm not sure we'll get it anytime soon, but that is a way that mature FPS games go, right? Once the game is stable and you've got a bunch of mechanics down, start making bolt-ons for it that make it more fun, right? So Right, and they've talked about creating like an arena. You know, we, we haven't been told what that means, but when I think of arena, I think of it as like a 1v1 or a 2v2 and it's a, you know, winner take all. And Nikita said that that's maybe the only place they would do a death cam. And I think that's kind of content creator focused. And this is maybe a different way to look at it. So I don't know. It's just something that I love about PUBG. And it's not the game itself. It's the third party resource. And so I just I don't know if there's things like this for Tarkov. Maybe it's out there already. I don't know. I don't think it is. But it would be cool to see something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I can argue it both ways. I just think it's fascinating how that has really, like, become a staple in PUBG and it's not part of the game. Yeah, I think in general, if they're going to do an interface like that, they should also create, like, an add-on interface as well. You know, make the game have a fairly accessible API that the servers can dump out data for, you know, what you're doing and how you've done and that would include all kinds of things too right dump your stats for your character in real time so that you could maybe create leaderboards or create different kinds of competitions for different maps for different things there's a place for all of that kind of thing whether it's making clips of playing to show off something or whether it's okay creating a stream of data that you can do to also turn that into some kind of way to show off your how awesome you are also too then you've got a data feed that you can take from a programmer perspective and turn it into add-ons to make the in-game economy go easier. Now, I'm obviously partial to this. I want this. I want a reliable way to take care of the flea market without having to log into the game. I mean, in Ronald's perfect world, I would have an app that I could download that I could buy and sell things with. On my phone, also maintain my hideout, you know, while in between play sessions, right? You know, make sure that I keep my stuff building and I keep everything kind of moving along. And I think that the game is definitely going to need something like that in the long run. I'm not sure if we're going to get that again in the in the short term. There's a lot of things that they have to do, practically speaking, in the short term. You know, they don't want to put more load on the servers than they already have. And add-ons can put a lot of load on a server. If you have an API that's going to dump a lot of data kind of in real time, that's going to be, you know, put a huge load on the server. And so we're going to see add-ons eventually, maybe not for a while, but it's probably something that will come. Yeah, and I guess as you were talking about that, I'm sitting here thinking about the flea market and how I was a total auction house junkie on WoW. There's really no reason not to, right, is the way I'm looking at it because I want it. I think the challenge with add-ons is that if you open up the API that way, it allows for like overlay type stuff. And so I think Tarkov would have this really hard time like saying yeah no overlay anything while in game and maybe it could be a stat dump after the raid was over but maybe that's the reason that they couldn't do something like this because while it's an MMO and add-ons are very common to MMOs the FPS and PVP nature PVP always on nature of Tarkov I think it might be a slippery slope of what you allow from an overlay perspective or an add-on yeah, that's a good point. You could possibly address that, though, by locking the interface when you're playing in a raid and just changing the interface outside of raid to be customizable. 
So, you know, change your flea market interface to be customizable to some kind of mass sorting add-on or something like that. Although I got to give them props. I mean, the in-game interface for the flea market's not bad. There's just no way to do any customizable database searching or retention of pricing or, you know, kind of tracking of things that you can do in other large MMOs. And because of that, you have to do it outside of it manually, which is a lot of work, which is probably honestly good for the in-game economy because as soon as you automate some of those things, then everything starts to get manipulated pretty fast. Yeah. You know, which is partially why I want it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's good for the uh, flea market and auction house junkies, but for the average player, I I guess I don't know that it really affects anything, right? Because when you go to the flea market, you look at the price, you make your snapshot decision of what to do and you sell it. But I do think that while the interface on the flea market is really good, You know, it's just simple little things like, again, we're dreaming right now. You know, our main topic on our show notes is wish list, right? And I'm sitting here dreaming like, I just wish I could save a couple filters on the the flea market. You know, I wish I could just save, you know, have a few different ones. Like if I am building guns, I wish I could just have a couple filters that I could push and it would be, you know, traders only, barters only. And, you know, certain items or, you know, I'm looking for functional items or non-functional and I could save those rather than having to reset up all my filters every time I build a gun and then I got to go buy something or sell something. So it is really good for just being base game level, but compared to other MMOs that are a little more fleshed out in this area, it's not super advanced. And again, I, I think it's okay. I just look at it and say, man, there's a huge opportunity here to make this something really, really cool because of just how awesome the traders and the hideout and finding stuff in raid and how all of that interacts, how you know they update pricing all the time based on demand. So like price fixing and price setting is already challenging in this game because the traders are oftentimes setting the floor on stuff, which again, World of Warcraft doesn't do that. And that's probably the biggest fleshed out auction house API on everything. But I don't know. There's just an opportunity here, I think. And But again, this is I'm not uh, blinded by the fact that I have a different lens <laughs> on this and would love to see more fleshing out of the flea market. So actually, one other thing that I've been thinking about is, wouldn't it be cool to have a way to share gun presets? Because when we get into wanting to share guns with our friends, you got to take a screenshot or you got to write down a long list of stuff or all kinds of different things. And it just is really kind of clunky and inconvenient for sharing. But imagine this, imagine sending like a mail to an in-game friend with a gun preset. And all they do is click on it and then it opens in their their preset editor. I think that that's something they could do probably relatively easily because it's basically a gun preset. is nothing more than a buying filter on the flea market. And if you could send that back and forth, that would be awesome. And I think that stuff like that is related to guns because of how complicated the guns are to make to get the desired kind of effects, and especially for doing like gunsmith tasks and things like that. You know, there are ways that you could possibly send that information between friends. And I think that would be a huge, huge plus. Yeah. And like that, I've never even thought about that, but I'm thinking to like Hearthstone. Okay. And I know we're looking at different games right now and picking and plucking everything we love, but I look at a game like Hearthstone. I don't play that a ton. It's mostly a mobile game for me, but every now and then I'll get a wild hair for a week or two and dig in. Well, I'm not going to dig into the point where I go build a deck of Hearthstone cards and like 
refine it over and over and over to try to figure out the best way to do it. I'm more of a collector in that game and I like to jump in and out. So for me, I like to go to an external website, download a deck, see what cards I'm missing, decide to craft them, decide to not, replace a couple, and then you can literally copy paste a formula from an external website and then if you click back into Hearthstone, it says, hey, do you want to build the deck from your copy and paste? You hit yes, and it literally builds the deck for you. And this is kind of the same thing with the gun builds that I don't think everybody wants or has the time to figure out gun builds. And it would be so cool if someone was like, hey, brand new to the game, what's a good gun that I can use in the beginning? And imagine if you just had a community, like a podcast community that likes to help people. <laughs> And and they had a list of guns for different spots in the games or meme guns or whatever you wanted. Like, now I changed my mind. This is what I want now. <laughs> I want what you just talked about. I want the ability to share gun builds. I'm all in. Yep. I, uh, I think it'd be pretty interesting. I think you could really, really create some cool stuff because there's definitely some fun meme guns, you know, like the four flashlight shotgun, that kind of stuff that you can create. And But just getting through basics, like I'm level one. What do I do? You know, here's our set of three guns that you can afford at level one and that you can reliably get. You know, stuff like that, I think, you know, if they haven't already thought about that, we should be spamming their Twitter, asking for things like that, because that's not very selfish. That would helps everybody, you know. So the, the other thing I was thinking about is it would be interesting if they had an in-game chat system that created like a clan or a guild or something like that. So you log in. And you can see like, okay, I've got my friends list, but you could log in and see kind of like a mini in-game friends list that had was a little bit more robust than a friends list. doesn't need to be a full-on chat system because let's be honest, most people use Discord, which by the way, you can join the XFIL Discord. The link will be in the description for the podcast. Highly suggest you do that. And so I think an in-game like way to recognize that you're part of a group, a clan or a guild or whatever you want to call it. I think that'd be kind of cool. I think there's ways to do that. People already do something like that now with the armbands. You know, you can buy the same color armband and then go into a raid with four or five people and all be wearing the same armband so you can see and not kill each other. You know, that that's a way to go about that. Or if you're J-Mac, you can just shoot me on the staircase, irregardless of any of that. But I digress. <laughs> So I think that having an in-game system, you know, would be would be good for that way for the social aspect. I I don't know. I'm I'm on the other side of the coin on that one. And it mostly comes from this not being a game where, you know, you're grouping up with 15, 20 people like you're grouping up with three or four. And I guess there's games out there that do have clan stuff like this, like Diablo has that kind of thing. In Tarkov, you can change your name so frequently, like once a week, I could think you can change your in-game name. It depends how they would do this, right? If it's like an extra tag that you can't have unless you're in a clan, I don't know. I mean, I always like these kinds of things. And I'll be real honest, like the only one I've ever been is in a World of Warcraft guild. But in Counter-Strike or, you know, Call of Duty or Diablo, I've never really had an interest in that kind of thing because it really creates these pockets where it's like you end up just talking to this one little group of people versus having a bigger one to talk to. But now I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if we had an Xfil one. That'd be kind of cool. Who's on from the Xfil? That'd be kind of sweet, actually. So I don't know. Again, it, it, that's a cool idea, but I don't know. I don't know if it fits or not. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure either. 
I just find myself at times wanting a little bit more in-game information if my friends are playing or not. You know, I mean, I'm thinking about this kind of as we're talking and yes, Discord is a thing, obviously, but Discord, you can be invisible, right? And so sometimes you're not always on Discord if you don't want to be and maybe you don't want to be found, that kind of thing, but maybe you just forget to not put yourself online or something. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking it could be a way because there's probably a lot of Tarkov players too that are not associated with a Discord, right? I mean, right. even if you think about it, Discord is very huge, but it's also not, you know, not everyone by far is not using Discord. So, Well, it's invite only, right? You can't just join a Discord unless it's somewhere out there publicly. So yeah, it's not an open platform really. Right, exactly. And so I think that having an in-game social system may help that. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of back and forth on this one. I, I agree with you. I, I understand your point and I actually, I can see that and kind of agree as well. Yeah, and I'm kind of leaning though towards it being maybe something to consider because they're even developing this game with the idea that you need to rely on third-party resources, you need to rely on other players, etc., etc., etc. I think that the barrier by having clans or things like that is currently there's no barrier to entry to go find content or to go look up a YouTube video or to play with other people necessarily. As soon as you add clans and stuff like that, you end up with applications and you end up with squads forming and teams. So it's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that belongs in this game or not. It's a super interesting point. Yeah, I mean... The worst of all of us gamers comes out as soon as there's a hierarchy system like this put into right. place. Right. So, yeah, man, they have to consider all these points, right? That we make about these kind of wishlist items. They have to consider all this when you design a game. And that's why designing a game is not simple. Well, and the, the last one, since we're talking about them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually announce something because it was kind of cool. So, Typically, what happens before we uh, record in a given week, we will jump in a channel and normally we would just go in a hidden one and we have some research to do or we'll just kind of flesh out our notes a little bit if anything happened in the few days that we need to update our notes on. And well, what happened tonight was I saw a few guys, uh, shout out to Beast Mac and Quispy, they were raiding and I saw them in a voice channel, I was just seeing who was online. And I saw them in a two-man raid channel and I saw Quispy go live, right? So I saw them start sharing their screen. And if you remember from last week, there's a bug if you're in the locked two-man raid channel or three or four or whatever, you can't uh, see the screen. So they, I saw them, I witnessed them live moving to this other channel. So I jumped in the channel right as they moved and jokingly said like, oh my gosh, are you guys streaming? Like just having fun. And they laughed and whatever. But then I just ended up hanging out there, updating my notes, uh, waiting for Ronald to get on. Then he joined and we're just kind of chatting, updating our notes. And um, it was really cool. So the announcement is a long story to tell you this. But I think what we're going to do actually is before we record, and we're not going to commit to this all the time, and we record at different nights. It doesn't always work out. Our schedules are kind of challenging. But I think we're going to try to announce when we're recording and on nights that we record, I think we're going to hang out in a voice channel in the Xfil Discord and just chat for a while as we're updating our notes and stuff like that. So if you ever just want to come chat with us or 
just come talk with other people. It'll probably end up being quite a few people in there, but we're going to try to commit to doing that. And if if we can't, if we have a tight schedule, we'll let you know. But before we record every week, we'll try to let you know where we're going to be. And the reason this all reminded me of that is as we were talking about some of the topics we were going to discuss, because of course they asked and we love talking about it. So of course we did. They, uh, I don't know if it was Beastmack or Quispy, so I'm sorry that I don't remember which one of you brought this up, but their idea, and I thought this was so cool, was that in the hideout, whether it's a separate section or something to build, they thought it would be really cool to have like a wardrobe somewhere where that you could store your armor or display your armor or whatever it is. And I just thought that was really neat. It's like it's kind of like more stash space. It's kind of like more um, inventory room. But I just thought that really would be fitting for a hideout. And so I thought that was really cool is to have somewhere that, I don't know, maybe you update it, maybe you could store it, something like that. And of course, we were talking about how little space we all had in our stashes. So it may have come from that, but I just thought that was a really interesting and cool idea from the community. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of the things I like about our community in general is that we can pop into a channel, any channel at random, and there's people and they're just hanging out and having a good time. Agreed. So I guess with that, guys, like these are this is kind of our wish list. So if there's something that's either from another game or it's just something that you're really passionate about that you would like that you would like to see in Tarkov, uh, let us know, like put it in the discord. Let's talk about it because we haven't dreamed a whole lot on the show and we do some of this in discord. But if you're like, hey, I want to see this in the game. Here's why. Let's discuss it. Let's see what we think. You know, I don't know if anyone's going to hear this and decide to do something on it, but it's sure fun to dream a little bit. So uh, let us know what you're thinking. Put that in the uh, put that in the discord. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many different things in different directions that Battlestate could take the game. And I think it's just cool to, um, you know, keep trying to push the envelope. And if you get a chance, Battlestate's one of those really cool companies that actually listens to the players that are playing their game, which is very rare, actually, if you think about it in the game design space. And so if you get a chance and you have a great idea, tweet it directly to at Battlestate. And who knows? They may They may pick it up. There's actually... There's been major game changes made over the development life cycle of Tarkov, and it's all because people have said, hey, I tweeted my idea, and then a bunch of other people retweeted it and kind of got on the bandwagon. So don't be afraid to do that, and um, I might tweet at them that I want an auction house add-on. <laughs> you should. Well, and speaking of the auction house, um, I, I do want to do a little bit of specific money-making conversation, kind of as our strategy talk tonight. and. And what I want to do is just on the heels of our kind of flea market overview last week, I want to talk about some specific things that depending where you're at in your hideout or your reputations, um, I want to talk about these because I want to give people something to look forward to if you're newer in the game or if you're approaching these, I want you to know about them. And I will say this up front. At the time of the podcast, these are the numbers. They change all the time. They make work better tomorrow. They may not work. You could break down in a spreadsheet or however the profitability of any trade or any hideout craft in the same way that we're about to do. But we want to bring up a couple that are really consistent or have big profit margins and don't require a ton of end game stuff. But I just wanted to give that qualifier up front as these are ones I think you should be looking at once you get uh, to the points where you can. So the first one I want to look at is 
the magazine case craft from the lavatory. Okay. So in this craft, there's a couple things about it. And we mentioned this one specifically on last week's episode because of the fuel canisters that you can use in your generator. And then you can also take the empty ones and use them in this craft. So to break this down, it takes two expeditionary fuel tanks, the blue fuel canisters. It takes one metal cutting scissor, takes three bolts and three screw nuts. So I went and looked right before we recorded. And I'll say this, traditionally, this trade has always been profitable. If you just went and bought the materials on the flea market, went to your hideout, and then crafted it, you could flip it for money just immediately. But for the first time that I've checked, it actually isn't profitable right now, but it usually is. And part of the reason is the fuel tanks are going for 90,000 rubles right now, and you need two of them. Metal cutting scissors are going for 56,000 right now, and you need one of those. And it's normally about 40,000. Fuel tanks have been as low as 60,000 recently. And then you need three of each bolts and screws and those are up to 16,000 and 15,000 respectively, and those can be as low as 10 or 11,000. So everything went up a little bit, and the reason we bring this one up is because Therapist will pay 318,000 rubles for a magazine case. Now, right now, if you just went and bought all this on the flea market, right now, as I'm talking, it'd be 329,000, so it's not profitable. And the reason we picked this one specifically is normally it's profitable, and it's profitable by selling it to therapists, which removes the flea market cut. You're not going to lose anything from the fee. So anyway, I thought it was really interesting that I usually just make this all the time, not even thinking about it, and it's not profitable right now. So is this one that you actually do, Eric? Yeah, so this is one that everybody can do. You can do this as soon as you start getting your hideout leveled. This is really kind of that first trade and create in your hideout where you start to make money. And so right now, the blue fuel cans are definitely getting to be too expensive on the flea market. And so the way that you can get around this right now is to make the blue fuel cans. You can do them the same thing in the lavatory. You need eight crickets, which is the orange lighters, and you need six zippos, which is the teal lighters. and a lot of those can be found just scaving, look in file cabinets. Mostly they're in file cabinets. They're, you know, in multiple maps. And most people throw them away because as we've talked about in the past about how you want to optimize each square for a certain amount of money, you want to make sure that you don't always optimize your scav run at the expense of like a greater goal. I always think about crickets and zippos, even though in and of themselves for the one for one slot that they take up, they're not the most profitable thing. I still take them out with me because I know that I'm going to need them to craft fuel tanks, which I burn in my generator and then I put them on down the assembly line and turn them into magazine cases. So this is a really great trade. And I think it's early on because it teaches you kind of the efficiency of scaving to create something using the item that you create in your hideout and then taking the used up item and turning it into something that you can flip for money. Right. And it's fundamental in that regard. And the funny part is the reason we talk about checking the prices and making sure you're doing your homework on it before you pull the trigger. I put these notes together a little over an hour ago and I just went and checked and the fuel tanks are down to 81,000 which takes 18000 off the price, which makes it profitable right there. But metal cutting scissors from when I did this went down 5000 Bolts went down to 12000 Screw nuts went down to 13000 
So the difference in an hour on the flea market went from this being negative 11,900 in the red to pretty significantly in the green. And I'm not going to do the hard math here, but um, it's probably now 30 or 40,000 profit just in that swing of time. So it's always worth checking on this, but typically this is one you can do really without question. But tonight was the first time it wasn't profitable when I looked at it, but just in the time that I wrote these notes, it has now become profitable again. Yeah, it's important because you can lose track of when you're buying multiple different pieces to make a a trade. It's easy to lose track of how much each one of those different things costs, right? So, you know, that you talk about like 90,000 versus 81,000. That's an easy one to just know what it costs. But if you're looking at bolts and they cost 16,000 versus 14,000 or 12,000, you're not going to think about that as much, but it all adds up and all makes a difference. And so I think one of the big things to keep in mind when you're kind of getting to that next level of advanced economy, where you really start to take advantage of the hideout system and the flea market system at this different kind of level, other than just scabbing for something and selling it all the time, keep in mind what you're buying, why you're buying it, and how it's going to fit into your plan for crafting for sure. Yeah. And and while we're talking about crafting and flea market, as we get into more of these trades, I did want to talk about something that's really critical, especially to the flea market and especially when trading high dollar or high ruble items. And one of the things you get with your intelligence center level three is you get a reduction of 30% on your flea market cut or on the flea market deposit rate. So the reason I bring that up is because the next couple trades that I'm going to talk about specifically are required loyalty level three with Jaeger and mechanic. And Ronald's got a couple other ones we're going to talk about. But I just wanted to bring that up that if you're trying to see what the flea market cut is and you don't have the traders quite leveled up yet, or you don't have your intelligence center leveled up, you're actually going to end up not seeing the true value of the trade when you can actually do it. So I wanted to make that little announcement first because it's really important, especially on this first one. So the one that I want to bring up first is the weapons case trade. So this is from Mechanic, which you have to be loyalty level 3 with him, which requires you to be level 30 with 1.6 million rubles spent, and you have to have 0.3 reputation with him. So I'm going to break down the numbers for you really quick. And so what you need, you need eight electric motors, 15 wires, four broken LCDs, and one phased array. Now, the reason this trade, I think, is so fundamental, and if you don't take anything else out of this episode, once you have your intelligence center leveled up, this trade is one that I generally do on cooldown because I've never seen it unprofitable. And right now, if you were to go buy all of those on the flea market, electric motors at roughly 52,000, wires at 11,000, broken LCD at 26,000, and a phased array at 150,000, you're going to put 835,000 in. You're going to have flea market take of about 40,000, which puts you at 265,000 pre-fee profit because they sell for about uh, 1.1 million. And so even after the fee, you're coming out with 227,000 rubles for just buying the items on the flea market, trading them to mechanic, and then selling the weapons case back on the flea market. And this one is easy to scav the parts for. I mean, motors you can find all day long, wires, phased arrays, probably not so much, probably buy one of those. But wires and broken LCD and motors, that's easy to scav for those parts. 
Yeah. And so again, just as a final summary, it's 835000 to buy all of that stuff off the flea market. $1.1 million is what a weapon case sells for right now. And Ronald brings up just the wonderful point of these things you will often have if you just collect stuff and throw it in a scav junk box. Um, you come across this stuff all the time. And it's just further digs into the point we've been making the last few weeks that if you pay attention to why items are valuable, which oftentimes is trading and crafts, you're going to have a different perception on why you would pick them up. You know, so you're like, oh man, if I pick up these six wires that I found in Ollie running through Interchange, that's going to reduce my trade for a weapons case. So again, it's not that you have to go buy all of these on the flea market. Yeah, if you if you came across a phased array from a drop event or you found a couple broken LCDs, like it's just reducing the amount that you have to buy. And so it's it, just a really cool thing you can do. And again, this is just one I've always found to be profitable no matter what time of the day or when. And it's again, for me, I tried all of these right before the show. And before the show, I made 227,000 rubles just for buying a bunch of items and turning them into a weapons case. Yep, that's a good one to do. Another one that we like to talk about is one that's pretty much available to everybody right away. And this is the Tetris to Bitcoin to sell to therapist. And in the early game, this has a couple of great side benefits that happen as a result of this. So the basically what it is, is you find a Tetris. If you're looking for a, re a reliable Tetris in Shoreline in the upstairs room in the weather station, there's usually a Tetris on the floor most of the days that you go there, most raids that you go there. And then what you end up doing is taking that Tetris, putting it in your gamma and then getting out of there. And when you go to trade it to mechanic level one, you can trade it for a Bitcoin. And it's like, why would I trade this? Well, if we think about this, break this down. Right now, Tetris is sell for about 125, 130,000 rubles on the flea market. Now, before fee even, let's just think about this. Bitcoin sell for 150,000 or 145,000 on the flea market. Now, both of those flea market sales by themselves require the, the fee to post it on the flea market. But if we trade the, if we trade the Tetris, turn it into a Bitcoin for free, and then sell that Bitcoin to therapist for 145,000, we miss out quite intentionally on the 7,500 ruble fee that it costs to post a Bitcoin on the flea market for 145,000. So you already increase your profit there and you get credit towards your spend with therapist to level up your trader reputation, which is a huge, huge deal early on in the early game. And so that is a big side benefit to doing this particular trade, which you can do two times per reset. And if you're lower level or just getting started, basically what he's saying is right now Tetris is 142,000. Therapists will pay 145. There is zero reason not to be buying Tetrises on the flea market for less than therapist pays for them whenever you possibly can. And you have those two trades up because you make a couple thousand rubles, which isn't a big deal, but it just gets your spend with therapists going. So this isn't going to work early on in any wipe, but where we're at now, mid to late wipe, whatever your speculation is, uh, this is very easy to do and it can help you out with therapists a lot. It's a great point. I forgot about this one. It's great. Yep. There's a couple of these that you can do. One of them is buying, I believe it's Burkitts and selling them to, is it Jaeger? Or Skier maybe. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two, but you can cheese them by buying Burkitts on the auction house or flea market and selling them. 
you know, there, there's a couple of these along the way where basically you don't you don't end up losing much along the path of buying and selling. Like the delta between the two is not very large. So keep that in mind as you need to get these different marks and points for rubles to get the trader reputation up. Yeah, no doubt. And the next one is probably the most notorious trader to get rep up. But the next two that I wanted to talk about really quick are from Jaeger. And they're from Loyalty Level 3 Jaeger, which requires you to have unlocked him through tasks. You have to be level 22, 1.5 million rubles in spend, and you have to have his rep at 0.35. And the 0.35 rep with Jaeger is probably the hardest part of that. But he has two trades. And the first one is the small sick case, which is effectively the documents case on steroids, which allows you to put currency, dog tags... Uh, folders of intelligence inside the sick case, which is a two-slot container inside your uh, secure container, which is why it's so sought after. Now, it sells for uh, 1.93 million, so 1,930,000 on the flea market. It requires 10 paracord, 15 duct tape, 10 insulating tape, 12 nails, totaling uh, 1.5 million roughly. And then it's got a pretty hefty fee as well. It's got a 80 or actually 800,000 fee. But no, no, excuse me. It is is (laughs) 80,000. I'm reading these numbers and they're big. So the pre-fee profit is 424,000 on this and post-fee is 348,000. I did this one right before and it was a little off because I actually had a couple paracord in my stash, but I made a little more than this because paracord was under 100,000 at the time. And so if you're using the numbers that I'm giving you, and I can post pictures of these uh, spreadsheets in the Discord, but on this one, I had the 10 paracords at 100,000, the 15 duct tape at 7,000, the 10 insulating tapes at 11,000, and then the 12 nails at 25,000. So again, if you just went and bought these off the flea market, didn't have any of them in your stash, and you have Jaeger at level three, you're looking at roughly 350,000 rubles just for buying it, trading it to Jaeger, and then selling it. Now again, you need to check all of this stuff. I use a spreadsheet. I will go look at a sick case, see what it's selling for, plug the numbers in, and then I go look up paracord, duct tape, insulating tape, and nails, and I type in the price that they're selling for. Not the lowest price that you see on the flea market. I look for like what the consistent price is that I think I could buy that amount for. So if I see Paracord selling it, one of them's up for 90000 and then there's like 10 of them for 105000 I'm going to use the 105000 number in my spreadsheet because I don't want to lose money. But anyway, I do this every time. And this is another one of those ones that once you have access to the trade, it's almost always profitable to do it with the sick case. And the next one I'm going to tell you, before you start buying the items, make sure you check to see how many of these are in stock with Jaeger. And the way you do that is you go to Jaeger or any of the traders, you hit the barter items, which is the little infinity wheel that Eric told you about last week on the right hand uh, context menus within his screen. And then on the bottom right of the item, it will tell you a number. So right now I'm looking at it. And in the top left, it says little arrows back and forth 47. That means you have 47 items to collect to trade for the sick case. And then the bottom right, it says 1,861. And if I refresh it, it's now 1,860. So that's how many left he has available to trade. If that number is very low, 
or you refresh it a few times and it's rapidly decreasing, don't invest a ton of rubles and then have the trade go out of stock because then you're stuck with a bunch of stuff you can't do until the next time the trader resets. So just a cautionary tale there. I've done it. Don't get stuck with a bunch of items that you have to sit on for two hours. So anyway, that's the sick case. Um, 350000 profit from buying it off the flea market. Yeah, that, that's a good one. It's also good advice to be careful not to get too stuck with all those things. I mean, you can always sell them again, but at the same time, you're just going to be taking up stash space, which can be kind of annoying. Yeah, no doubt. And the final one I'm going to talk about is by far the most cautionary item in the game <laughs> because of scam trades, for one, and then also because of the limited quantity available at Jaeger. It's not so rare that you won't see the trade available, but it is limited enough that I've seen it sold out many times, and this is the Red Rebel. So the Red Rebel sells right now for $5.2 million, and if you don't know what the Red Rebel Ice Pick does, it actually allows extra exfils on the reserve map and the woods map, and they're very, very useful. So the Red Rebel is very sought after. Now, this one takes 14 propane at roughly 68000 7 fuel conditioners at 95000 and 15 dry fuels at 85000 for a total investment of 2,892,000 rubles. It sells for 5.2 million, but the fee on this thing is nuts. It's a 1.6 million fee because what it's worth and what it sells for is so radically different. But it can be worth up to 700,000 rubles in profit if you can find those prices. Again, for propane under 68,000, fuel conditioner under 95,000, dry fuel under 85,000. But you need so many propane and you need so many dry fuel that if those even go up a little bit, it can become unprofitable really, really fast. The other thing is if people undercut you, you can't cancel this one and repost it because you're out a huge deposit. So you have to be really careful with this one. So I tested it out again in front of everybody. I was actually streaming on Discord when I did this and I posted it and then I refreshed it like three seconds later and there was like six more that had undercut me. So I was like, oh, I did not price this right. Well, fortunately, about 30 minutes into the recording, the Red Rebel sold and I've never ran into a scenario where I posted a Red Rebel and it didn't sell, but I always did my homework first and made sure that the profit margin was large. Now, in my calculations, I was going to make about 700000 but I had to pay a little bit extra on all of the dry fuels, so it actually cut it down, and I made like 489000 in profit. So the crazy part about all this, and again, this is just my experience on these trades right before recording, is I made 489000 Let's just calculate this really quick. So 489000 plus... 350,000 roughly plus 247,000. So I made a million and 86,000 rubles for buying stuff on the flea market, trading them to a trader, and then selling that item back on the flea market. And that million is in pure after flea market fees, intelligence center level three profit. Yep, absolutely. And that is the benefit of getting your hideout leveled. You start to get some of the stuff going and the money woes that you really go through in the mid game kind of disappear at some point. And I'm looking forward to getting to that point. And I'll say this, there was a point when I got access to these trades and I had enough currency 
that I wasn't worried about the item selling very quickly, that I was doing these on every single trader reset, right? So I was selling sick cases like crazy. I was selling weapon cases like crazy. And the side benefit of that is when you're selling those on the flea market, you get your flea market reputation up really fast. So now I can post, um, I just unlocked my seventh slot. So I can actually post seven different auctions on the flea market, which is super handy. It's not super beneficial, but it's nice to have. So again, mostly this is just stuff to look forward to. And if you're new or you're kind of early to mid stages and you're not really approaching level 30 yet, don't worry, you'll get there. Part of the reason I'm doing this is I know that Eric is right there. <laughs> and I know he's got his eye on these like, I need access. And he's already got the currency because he's good at this anyway, to take full advantage of them right when he gets them unlocked. So it's something to look forward to. Do your research on it. If you got questions, asked. But I really just wanted to put this out there because it's a great way to spend a little time learning markets and learning what's profitable. These are four or five trades that we told you about out of, I mean, for crying out loud, there's hundreds of trades in the game. So you can look up the cost of anything that goes into a trade or a craft and figure out if it's going to be profitable. So I would encourage you to do it. These are the ones that some people told me about or I found myself and I've had good luck selling them. I've never had one of these come back if I priced it correctly. And typically, I will price these as the lowest priced item on the flea market right when I'm selling it. And again, it can get undercut, but usually it will sell pretty darn quickly. Yep, that's the way to do it. For people approaching that part of the game, I hope it's something they look forward to. I really do. Because it's a, it's a huge change in your economy. So Yeah, well, that, that's a really good trade. And I think it's important to remember that uh, you have something to look forward to if you're in the early game. And if you're in the mid game like me, you can almost taste it. You're getting close. And for those uh, that are listening that are, you know, in the late game and are more experienced players, you can just kind of head nod your way through this saying, yep, yep, this is how this goes. And so I think it's important. And we wanted to highlight this stuff because it's an, it's important to know that the economy is very robust in Tarkov and you have plenty of options to really make a ton of rubles. And I know that rubles and currency are things that are hard to come by. And we just want to make sure that everyone continues to get different strategies and different things that they can do to make money. And if you have something that we haven't covered that is like, oh man, they got to do this, go ahead, post that in Discord because this is how we can leverage our community is to say, yeah, I've got this trade, I've got that trade. And the game is so big that you really don't ruin anything by sharing it with our group of people. So Go ahead, post that in Discord. Looking forward to seeing all of that kind of stuff. So, Trigger, you have anything else for today? I don't, man. I just gave away all of my money-making secrets, so I hope they stay profitable when everyone starts doing it. Yeah, it's going to be... It'll be just fine. There's so many people, and that is actually a good point about the flea market system in Tarkov, is that it appears to be game-wide, or at least very large clusters of servers, which is actually very healthy. It keeps the economy... Yes relatively stable. So I think I think it's going to be good. Well, if you've made it this far, we thank you for listening. And we're starting to see our green bar come up across the screen. It's definitely the countdown timer has started. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for watching. And remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher under XFIL Podcast and all of those places. Please, if you can, leave a five-star review. 
or a review of whatever the different platform that you're listening to supports. It really helps discoverability of the audio version of the show. And make sure to check us out on youtube.com slash xpmedianow, where we always have the talk show version of the show. And you can leave a comment or a like and a subscribe there. And it really helps YouTube spread the podcast around and increases discoverability. We appreciate each and every one of you that have done that up to this point. So that's it for us. We hope everyone has a great week in Tarkov. And remember to scav often. And go make some rubles, would you? Jeez. (laughs) We'll see you guys soon. See you later, everybody.